everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we have a pelvic floor physical therapist, I hope I'm saying that right, (laughs) here on the podcast with us. So I'm going to go ahead and ask her to introduce herself to you. So Sabrina, go ahead and take it away. Hello, my name is Sabrina Baxter. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. So I am a physical therapist that chose to specialize in the pelvic floor region. So I work with women of all ages from 18 all the way up to over 70. I've seen women of all ages. That's awesome. And I specifically work with people that have dysfunction with bladder, bowel, and sexual health. Oh, interesting. A lot of the times when I first heard about a pelvic floor PT, I was like, oh, that's for pregnant women. That's for people like Joanne. You know, that has nothing to do with, you know, my pelvic floor, but it can really impact, as you said, your bladder and your bowel as well. Is that what you just said? Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually a really big, like, misconception is that everyone thinks, oh, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction is only going to happen when you're pregnant or postpartum, but people have pelvic floor dysfunction of at all ages. Like if you have constipation, you have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction. If you have symptoms of urinary urgency or frequency where you have to pee every 15 minutes, that's pelvic floor dysfunction. A lot of people have pain with putting in tampons or with the pelvic exam or with intercourse. That's all pelvic floor dysfunction. I mean, I've always heard your pelvic flooring just like, you know, you get your core together as women, if you were planning on having kids and whatnot, you need to, your pelvic core needs to be together before you have this baby and not after. So it's ironic today that we're talking about pelvic floor. I was telling Sabrina before we started recording, I went to see the chiropractor for the first time this pregnancy earlier today because I was having some pain. I have sciatic nerve damage from since I was like, I don't know, 12 and so I was having some pain from all the walking that I do. And I was fine when I left her. I was like, ooh, everything seems aligned. I'm getting, you know. But then I guess I was sitting down for too long and I got up to walk and my pubic area is hurting. And I'm like, oh, it's a good thing we're talking about pelvic floor wow. today. Yeah. This, right. <laughs> that doesn't feel right. So, Sabrina, go into, for everyone listening, what is the pelvic floor and why is it so important for women's health? Yes. So great question. So the pelvic floor is essentially this hammock of muscles that sits right on the bottom of your pelvis. So this hammock acts to support the bladder, the uterus, the rectum in women, and the bladder, the prostate, the rectum in men. So it has five major functions that everyone just needs to know. So one, it supports those organs that I just mentioned. It stabilizes the spine and the pelvis. It helps control the opening and closing of our sphincters. So our urethral sphincter where pee comes out of, our anal sphincter where poop comes out of. It also acts as a quote unquote sump pump, which means it plays a role in blood flow and lymphatic circulation. And lastly, honestly, my favorite topic to talk about, because I always am talking about this on my Instagram, is it plays a huge role on sexual health and sexual function. So our pelvic floor needs to be able, like any other muscle in our body, it needs to be able to contract and it needs to be able to relax. It needs to relax for penetration and then it contracts with orgasm. So the better the contraction, arguably, the better the orgasm. <laughs> Listen, you don't get your pelvic floor together now, ladies. <laughs> the I pleasure know. may not. Oh, not the pelvic floor. 
so I guess the burning question is, well, how, how can you strengthen those muscles? Like Kegels, what is it? How can, I know that I saw something online. This person had like weights, like a little mini weights that they would attach to their private area. Let, let's talk about that. I personally do not think that's necessary. I think that's a little over the top. I think a lot of people think that you need to do Kegels, you know, a hundred times a day to maintain pelvic floor strength, but in like a functional kind of perspective, there's no body, there's no muscle in our body that we will train a hundred times a day. Like I'm, you're not going to see someone doing a biceps curl to have a strong bicep. Like, no, they're going to do overhead presses. They're going to do bench press. Like they're going to do other compound movements. So the big thing with the pelvic floor is if you want a strong pelvic floor, you need to have a strong core. You need to have strong glutes, strong hips, strong legs. Like you need to have strength all around the pelvis. That's what really correlates to a strong pelvic floor. Kegels can be beneficial, but I always say like they're more beneficial when they're, when you're prescribed to do Kegels. Cause a lot of women think that, you know, to have a good functioning, a strong pelvic floor, you have to do Kegels all day, every day. But a lot of women also have hypertonic pelvic floors, which is a tight pelvic floor. And they don't know that they don't know the difference between a tight pelvic floor and a loose, uh, not loose, a weak pelvic floor. And really, yeah. And so people will do Kegels when they have a tight pelvic floor and it will only further exacerbate their symptoms and they think that they're treating themselves, but really they're doing way more harm than good. That's quite interesting. I went to you know, one of these bridal showers. It's been years now, almost 10 years. And I got one of those little ball sets. Like it came in different weights, like um, a lighter weight, a medium weight, and a large weight. And I've never used it because I've been scared. Like, I'm like, what if the thing gets lost up in me? They're like, you can use it when you're vacuuming. And if you can stand, you know, like with a heavier weight, if you can stand and vacuum and it doesn't fall, then like your, your pelvic flooring and your Kegel muscles are like where it needs to be. But I'm like, what if this thing travels where it doesn't need to be? What body part do we want contracted for that long of a time? Like any other body, you need to have, you need to be able to do repetition. You have to be able to have, you know, control, like sustained contraction. You have to be able to do quick contractions. So like, there's never a time when I'm literally just holding a bike, like a bicep curl like that for hours on end, but just functionally speaking, it makes zero sense. Like, I think that um, when Cardi B, when she says, do a Kegel when it's inside, like, that's like hilarious to me because (laughs) everyone does that for sure, but you're not going to hold a Kegel the whole time it's inside. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right, 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 right. So basically what you're saying is no Kegels unless it's prescribed. Yeah. I don't think you need to do Kegels unless a medical professional, specifically a pelvic floor therapist who has evaluated your pelvic floor, because a lot of OBGYNs are like, and I have a lot of respect for OBGYNs, but they just don't get the same kind of musculoskeletal education as a pelvic floor therapist. Like we literally specialize in muscles, period. And we specialize in pelvic floor muscles. So, you know, just telling people, oh yeah, you know, you had a baby do Kegels. No, sometimes I work with postpartum women that have symptoms of hypertonic pelvic floors. And if they did Kegels, they would make their symptoms way, way worse. I'm glad that you said that because I remember working at the hospital a nurse co-worker of mine had a child and she was saying that her OBGYN told her to do Kegels. And I'm like, oh, okay, what for? And she couldn't tell me what for. So I'm like, okay, like, yeah, you know, so seeing that it's coming from you, who is the expert, let's dive into that a little more. So you explained what a hypertonic pelvic floor is. I have so many questions because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, 
what what's going on here with me? I'm wondering how how do women know that? Because I know I saw your Instagram and I know that you said you actually give vaginal checks for some of your patients. How can you tell if someone has a hypertonic pelvic floor? You mean like internal checks? Yes. What you mean? But okay, yeah. So honestly, with the majority of my patients, I do an internal examination, and essentially, what that is is we have this thing called the Perfect Score. So P E R F. So P stands for power. That's like a a one repetition. I try to see what their max, like how like how much they can kind of squeeze my finger and lift it in, and then E stands for endurance. So I see how long can they hold that contraction? How long can they squeeze my finger in? And then R is R is repetition. So I see how many times can they hold that, that endurance, that time that they held my finger, how many times can they do that? So let's say they held my finger in for three seconds. Okay. How many times can they hold my finger now for three seconds? So we see their repetition. And then lastly, fast twitch is something we check that's quick contraction. So that's like the Kegel release, Kegel release. That's a quick contraction. And so we see, you know, what are the capabilities of these pelvic floor muscles? Can they do all the things that they're supposed to do? Yeah. So we check oh all that. And if someone has, honestly, with hypertonic pelvic floor, usually I can't really do a test like that because it's too painful because their muscles are already so guarding that they're like, this hurts me. So I usually won't do, you know, that kind of exam. I'll just, I'll be like, okay, you know what? We're going to just not do this until you're feeling a little bit better. And then I'll evaluate your strength later. But when someone's, you know, hypertonic, I already know that they're pretty, they're a little, they're almost too strong. Like there's this thing we, I always say, we don't want to be too tight. We don't want to be too weak. We want to have a strong pelvic floor, meaning you should be able to contract it pain-free and you should be able to relax it with ease. A lot of women that have hypertonic pelvic floors, they cannot relax their pelvic floor muscles at all. Oh my goodness. You should see my face right now. But I always tell people, I'm like, if you want to do an internal exam on yourself, literally stick your finger inside your vagina and try to lift it. I always, my favorite analogy, and so far all my patients love this analogy is I say, hold in a fart. When you hold in a fart, that's you lifting your pelvic floor. Oh, oh. I mean, that's kind of like what they say, that's how you can be too, right? Like yeah. Squeeze your butt cheeks. Yeah. Well, you don't want to squeeze your butt cheeks. You just want to do that lift. So you kind of actually want to quiet everything around your pelvic floor when you're doing like a strict Kegel and you just want to do that lift. Oh, so I'm going to do it wrong. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I guess to your question about like hypertonic symptoms. So the thing is like some symptoms can present like for example, you can have urinary urgency and frequency, and you could have either a tight pelvic floor, or you could have a weaker pelvic floor. So that's really where you would want to get checked by a, a pelvic floor specialist. But the most common symptoms of a hypertonic pelvic floor are definitely pelvic pain. So pain with tampon usage, pelvic exam, intercourse, constipation, urinary urgency and frequency, because if you think about it physiologically, those muscles are so tight and restricted that they're restricting on your visceral organs. So they're so tight, they're pressing on that bladder. So it's giving you these symptoms of urinary urgency and frequency. I'm on my fifth uh, pregnancy, so to speak here. And so I've had four full term babies. And with that, you can't really bounce and jump without peeing on yourself a little bit if your bladder is full. And so my friends and I who had multiple babies were always like, my pelvic floor is just trash. Like, 
you know, just trickles of urine. I mean, people, y'all may think it's TMI, but this is what happens with pregnant people. You know my here. username? My username is no such thing as TMI. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as TMI in my world. Right. I mean, the, I would say that in the health world overall, most of us, even us as dietitians, we say, you know, I'm in the gut health space. So poop and all that stuff, you can talk about it with me. I don't feel like TMI. TMI, but some people who may be listening may think, oh, she's sharing too much. But hey, somebody's going to learn from Everyone this. Everyone poops. Everyone poops. Right. right. So right. How, does, how does your pelvis impact your bladder? Because we, whether you're pregnant or, or you had a baby or not, how does all of that wrap up into your bladder and your pelvis impact each other? Yeah. So in your kind of situation or you and your friend's situation, it sounds like more likely you're on the weaker side of pelvic floor dysfunction because essentially your pelvic floor muscles that act as that hammock, they aren't able to support your bladder as much as they should be. So when you, when you jump, when you have this kind of impact, your bladder can't, it almost relaxes too much. Like it should stay nice and contracted. Sphincter doesn't have the control. The bladder doesn't have the control. The pelvic floor muscles aren't strong enough to support the bladder up there. So you have this little leakage and that's where, you know, hundred percent warrants pelvic floor therapy. I mean, I believe it. It totally makes sense. We do this thing um, called like some things that I tell my postpartum patients that are experiencing urinary incontinence and they have more of a hypotonic pelvic floor. It's called a pelvic brace technique. So essentially, you know, before you're about to sneeze or before you're about to do a hop or you know, run or whatever this kind of like stressful activity is on your bladder, you do a pelvic brace, which is like you draw in your core, you do a Kegel and then you sneeze and then you jump and then you get something. And that's supposed to kind of tighten it all prior to doing the activity that causes this stress on the area. Oh, I didn't learn that because definitely when I sneeze. Yeah. So try, you know, next time you feel like you're, you might leak, do a pelvic brace technique, you know, kind of tighten everything up and then do the activity and see if it makes an impact. But long-term speaking, definitely pelvic floor therapy could help you with, you know, strengthening pelvic floor. That it's very interesting. I'm, I'm learning so many new things because honestly, you know, when you think of a physical therapist, you don't think of them in the realm of your, I don't even know what to call it. You, you know, you don't think you think, I think of them the large muscles and, you know, large growth movements. I don't think of them in regards to what's going on in my abdominal core, urinary bladder region. So this is so it's mind blowing. And I think that's why like so many pelvic floor therapists have such a hard time getting this message across to physicians because they also don't understand what we're doing in the pelvic floor region. So we have to really educate them and be like, no, these are muscles that we're working with. Like this is, this was my seven years of schooling was all about muscles. Right, you know? right, right. Exactly. So let's, let's switch a little bit and speak about hormone health. So I know we spoke about a hypertonic pelvic floor. So how can that impact hormone health now? Okay. So, I mean, hormone health in general, like some examples where we would work with pelvic floor dysfunction and hormone, you know, in, there's some impact with hormones, like pregnant women, for example, they have an increase in the hormone relaxin. So the purpose of that hormone is to create some laxity and prepare the body for birth, right? And it can trigger you know, pubic symphysis dysfunction, it can trigger SI joint dysfunction. So 
from a therapist perspective, what we do in those situations is we really help maintain strength and stabilization. And we provide them with tools to, you know, improve strength, improve posture and decrease overall pain and discomfort. So that's that hormone and pregnancy is, you know, huge. We play a huge role in that. Also, I mean, whenever there's a decrease in estrogen, so some medications can cause a decrease in estrogen, breastfeeding can cause a decrease in estrogen, menopause can cause a decrease in estrogen. And we know that that hormone is super important for giving tissue bulk and just life in general. So when we have a decrease in estrogen, we can have, you know, tissue atrophy, we can have a decrease in vaginal lubrication, and that can cause things dyspareunia, which is painful intercourse, it can cause vulvodynia, which is vulvar pain, vaginismus, which is just involuntary pelvic floor muscle contraction, and all of that can further cause pain with intercourse. Oh my gosh. I know, I, right? I'm just loving the way that you're talking about everything. Like you're just so passionate. I'm like, how did I not know that this profession existed? Oh my goodness. I know. It's actually crazy. And like, I lately have been working with people online, like doing like pelvic health coaching sessions virtually. And some people will just sign up because they're like, can you just tell me everything about my pelvic floor? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> I have like my pelvic model out and I'm like, all right, so this is your vulva. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. So, you know, with, with pregnancy, since I'm pregnant, you know, I want to, I like talking about it while I'm in it right now. How can women prepare their pelvic floor for pregnancy? Yeah, that's a great question. I always, I try to preach like to even get one session with a pelvic floor therapist. Cause like I said, a lot of women don't know whether their pelvic floor falls on the spectrum of hypertonic or hypotonic, but if it's hypotonic, you know, how can we make it nice and strong so it can support you throughout your pregnancy? If it's hypertonic and AKA it's too tight and restricted, how can you relax it and kind of downtrain it so that you can have an easier labor and delivery and reduce your risk of tearing? So it's really good to kind of get in and be like, all right, where is my pelvic floor kind of at? So I know what I have to do to have like the easiest labor possible, you know, but on top of that, you know, at 34 weeks, we always recommend to do like this thing called a perineal massage. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. So your perineum is right in between vagina and anus. And it's just this that can be super restricted and a lot of women tear there. So if you do this thing, perineal body massage, you know, you can just use some coconut oil or olive oil. Those are safe and just kind of massage it five minutes daily. It can really help reduce the risk of tearing. Oh, yes. I've done it with every pregnancy. I use Haitian castor oil. And I've not had a tear in that area at all. I've not had a tear at all, really. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been been doing it from the the beginning. That's so good. And I would say also, you know, just overall staying active throughout the pregnancy, you know, being active before, being active throughout, focusing a lot on core and transverse abdominus activation. A lot of people neglect their transverse abdominus, which is your deepest, deepest core layer. We activate it whenever we breathe. But like, People just don't realize that our core is literally our foundation for all movement. Like you have a strong core and you have safe kind of body mechanics. So it's just really, really important to have a nice, strong core, you know, throughout pregnancy, before pregnancy, postpartum, all of that stuff. Okay. So are you more likely to have a diastasis if your pelvic floor is trash prior to pregnancy? No, not necessarily. So everyone, so diastasis recti is a little bit, it's not really associated with the pelvic floor. It's more like rectus abdominis kind of stuff. I mean, it's all separation, all core separation, but 
it's usually what we see is everyone will have a DRA, everyone, because your body needs to, you know, create that space for a baby to grow. Now, some people have, you know, more DRA postpartum than others. And usually it's just, it comes down to how active you are with your pregnancy, how much you focus on your core with your pregnancy. Because, you know, if you are not an active person and you get pregnant and your abdominals separate, then, you know, you don't have that good of a chance of them coming back together and that tension, you know, because your body was never really strong to begin with. But if you go into the work on your core, um, working on your transverse abdominus, then it's more likely that it's going to come back in because with DRI, we look at tension. So we always postpartum, we always push down and we kind of see, okay, is our finger bouncing back? That means tension. There's a lot of tension there. It's good. The core is coming back together. If there's not a lot of tension, that's when we're like, okay, you know, they have an increased risk of, you know, their abdominals not coming back together, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine's, mine's, well, it comes back together. But the minute I drink or eat, it pops back out. Because I've trained, I've done the training to get it to stay together and all that stuff. I even had to go see a surgeon to find out like, is what am I doing? Is, Is this like out of my hand? And he was like, yeah, it's too wide. You can't fix this by yourself. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's unfortunate too, because if only you had kind of had like more education on postpartum and like how to kind of rebuild your core postpartum, because I feel like there's such a lack of awareness of just how to repair and regain core control and pelvic floor strength. It's like, it's like, imagine if, you know, you went into pelvic floor therapy immediately, six weeks postpartum, and we focused on breathing. And then we focused on kind of transitioning that breathing into more core control. And then what that could have done, you know, it's just like, there's just lack of awareness, really. Yeah, well, I never went through with any kind of surgeries or anything like that. So this pregnancy around, I'm going to try one more time, I'm going to give it my all to do everything that I need to do to get it to get back to where it needs to be and to stay there. Because I mean, I'll retrain my core, and things will be nice and tight. And but the minute I drink something or I eat something, it just pop, you know, poofs back out, and I have that pooch, that little mini, mini. It's very small at that point, but it's still, still there. Yeah, I think another thing too is like a lot of women that I work with, they are so fixated on getting their pre-baby body back, so they almost rush through. They rush through, you know, six weeks. The doctor, the doctor's like, "All right, you know, go back to normal life." Which one? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you ever tell to go back to normal life six weeks? Not at all. But like, then people are like, "Okay, I'm gonna go back to Orange Theory. I'm gonna go back to, you know, doing like hit workouts, high intensity impact workouts." And it's like your body is not ready. Not for ready that for that. No. Yeah, not and then all. that's when you can actually do way more damage than good. Wow. I'm learning so much. Okay, mom life one day. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> so so you mentioned something about breathing, Sabrina. Talk a little bit about that because I'm I'm here like very conscious of my breathing now. I'm like, okay, am I breathing right for my pelvic floor health? Let's talk about that. Okay. So a lot of us nowadays, like everyone has anxiety, right? So a lot of us are chest breathers. So we're always breathing through our chest when you actually want equal parts, chest and belly, because you really want to fill your diaphragm up when you're breathing. So like in a pelvic floor kind of, you know, thinking about your pelvic floor, whenever you take a big breath into your diaphragm, into your belly, you inhale into your belly, your pelvic floor relaxes. 
So that's just a key component that we always like to stress to patient, like your pelvic floor and your diaphragm, you know, they are best friends. So you take a big inhale, your pelvic floor relaxes. And then as you exhale and you draw your belly button in, you kind of simultaneously lift your pelvic floor because that's how the two, you know, work together. So diaphragmatic breathing is really great because it can help with like nervous system relaxation and it can help with pelvic floor down training. So breathing is a huge, huge part of the therapy process. Okay. Nice. So I, I guess maybe it's the same thing that they, I mean, I don't sing, but I guess it's the same thing that they tell singers to really focus on not your chest, but that's more, true. Joy, you were in a choir, right? More of like your, your stomach area. Yeah, they do tell singers that to breathe into the same from your diaphragm to breathe into your diaphragm. Oh my goodness. I'm so self-conscious now. I'm like writing oh, things down. I'm like, honestly, I think the biggest takeaway is like, breathing can really help kind of regain core control postpartum. So that's usually the first exercise we give a postpartum patient, but also from, even if you're not pregnant or postpartum, like like breathing can be super, super beneficial and just like overall anxiety reduction and relaxation. Like I tell, you know, my friends, if they're having a panic attack or something, I'm like, take five super, super deep breaths and then see how you feel afterwards. Cause we just forget how grounding breathing can be. True. Gotcha. So, to wrap this all this information up, I'm sure somebody's out there is like, okay, so how do I know for sure something's wrong with my pelvis? Can you go into some very common signs and symptoms that people can actually tell something is wrong and you need to go get help? Yes. So let's separate into sections so like bladder. You can have urinary urgency or frequency. So normal bladder habits are peeing actually every two to four hours. You shouldn't be getting up more than once a night to pee. And this is with a minimum water intake of two liters of water a day. So people that experience urinary urgency or frequency, honestly, pregnancy is an exception because you literally are growing a baby on top of your bladder. So you're going to be, you're going to be peeing way more often, but We see, you know, urinary frequency and urgency. We can have urinary incontinence and that can be stress incontinence. So kind of like you mentioned, leaking when you're doing any exercise or when you cough or when you sneeze or laugh. And then there's urge incontinence, which is when, you know, you get that urge to the bathroom and you literally have to sprint or you're not going to make, like you're going to pee your pants. So that's urge incontinence. But also, also we can have prolapse. So there can be really any pelvic organ prolapse. And usually what you feel a lot of people report that they have like this heaviness sensation in their vagina. So it's almost like they feel like a tampon's falling out. And that can be indicative of a pelvic organ prolapse. Yeah. Bowel wise, you could also, you can have constipation. You can have like excessive diarrhea. Like we work with patients sometimes that have IBS or celiac or, you know, disease or SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. I haven't worked with a lot of patients like that, but they definitely do see pelvic floor therapists for that. And then you can also have fecal incontinence. So, I mean, if you have a super weak pelvic floor and you don't have enough control over your anal sphincter, you're going to experience some kind of like smearing or incontinence of some sort. And then sexually wise, we work with patients that have, obviously they have pain with intercourse and and it doesn't always have to be vaginismus, which vaginismus is like involuntary contractions of the vaginal muscles, the pelvic floor muscles. It can also be vulvodynia, which is vulvar irritation or pain. It can be 
scar tissue. So like when you tear with pregnancy and they suture you up, you know, whenever you tear anywhere in the body, there's going to be scar tissue formation and scar tissue is never as elastic as the original tissue. So literally what we do is we mobilize that scar tissue. So I will literally be in someone's perineum kind of moving that tissue around and it's super uncomfortable, but then it gets rid of restriction and then it, it helps with pain with sex or it helps with, you know, whatever. So that's one big thing too. And I think it's also important to mention is that a lot of people think that you can only have pelvic floor dysfunction if you had like when you're pregnant or postpartum, if you had a vaginal delivery, no C-sections. See, it's crazy to me that C-sections are not required to get therapy because if you're literally having a massive abdominal surgery done. Like they're cutting layers of skin, layers of muscle, tissue, you know, they're cutting through organ. Like it's just crazy to me that doctors are like, all right, you're good to go. But no, you have people can be have a lot of sensitivity around their scar, you know, bending over can cause a lot of pain, picking up their child can cause a lot of pain and scar tissue will obviously form around a C-section scar. And the thing with scar tissue is that like it never, it's never, it never forms like in this nice linear line. Like it can form in many different places. People can have scar tissue formation like down by way lower than where their actual scar is. So in therapy, we do a lot of like myofascial and kind of like decreasing restriction around the area. So yeah, I would say those are probably and like orgasm too. A lot of people have decreased ability to orgasm or decreased sensation, and that can be due to pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Is that scar you're speaking of when it comes to the C-section? Is that internally or externally? When you say the scar can be, yeah. So usually with C-section, I honestly almost never do an internal exam. I mean, not never, but like I usually don't because it's usually their symptoms are all external. So I'll do like more hands-on stuff around the scar, you know, feel for any restriction and work on that area. Okay. Okay. This is so amazing. Cause even though I haven't had children, I had a major, I don't know. I, I don't like to call it major, but the doctor calls it major. I had fibroids. So they did like a transverse and I'm thinking like, oh, I'm good because like right before the day before the surgery, I got up, I ran five miles, I was feeling good. But then I was tore up, like my abdomen, like I couldn't get out of bed. I had to roll and like drop on the floor, knees first and then crawl. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about everything that you're saying, that the core is so important for the overall body. It really is. And even a surgery like that, like you still have scar tissue, you still need to mobilize that scar tissue and break up any restrictions. So, yeah. You said you were running yeah, after your, sure. your surgery, Kim? No, the day before the surgery, day before oh. the surgery. Cause I was okay. like, I'm going to be laid up for a little bit. I'm going to be laid up. So I wanted to know, Sabrina, I'm, I probably need to get you on my, I, I need your services. How can other people that want to connect with you connect with you? Because I think as women and men, too, that may be listening to this episode, we're not taught anything about pelvic health. And once we have pelvic health problems, it disturbs our peace. It disturbs our oneness. So how can people connect with you if they want to learn more about their pelvic health or work with you? So to work with me, I live in South Florida. So I see people at their homes in South Florida. So like I, if you live in South Florida, you know, between like Boca Raton to Miami, I will drive to you and work with you one-on-one. -on -one. Otherwise, if you're outside of the state of Florida or really anywhere in the world, I do virtual consults. So I do like 
I market them as like pelvic health kind of coaching sessions. So I have, that would be like in my bio on my Instagram, you can go and they click like book now. And I offer like quickie consults where, you know, you think that you have some pelvic floor dysfunction, but you don't even know where to start. And then I'll kind of just provide, you know, general education and resources. And then I have a um, one-on-one pelvic health coaching session, which is where it's like, okay, I know I have a lot of shit going on and I need you to basically decipher everything for me. And I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what I think you should try. Blah, blah, blah. And then I also have people that, you know, just want general education and they're, and they're like, I think I want to see a public floor therapist in person. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, absolutely. I will help you, you know, find someone near you. I think also it's important to mention that if you do want to work with a public floor therapist in person, there is a website called pelvicrehab.com and you can find a public floor provider that lives near you. Awesome. Well, this was so amazing, Sabrina. We learned so much. Thank you for all the information, especially on them Kegels. I'm sure people have been doing, trying to do Kegels <laughs> all the time. And now they, they know you don't need to be doing Kegels unless you've been prescribed to do them Kegels. So please go and follow Sabrina if you need her services. She just told you guys where to find her. So go and find her. My Until Instagram, next time. My Instagram, Instagram is no such thing as TMI. Listen. <laughs> I try to tell people that all the time when I'm having services with them and, and I'm, I'm all for that. Nothing is TMI. I mean, how are we going to learn? On brand. So, <laughs> on brand. I mean, everyone pees, poops and has sex, right? So. Right. So please go and follow her. And, you know, if you need her services, you know where to go and find her from what she just told us prior. Until next time, everyone, make sure you share this. And tell your friend to tell a friend to tell their friend. (laughs) Until next time, bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.